The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Good morning, church family. Okay. Um, so we're reading from 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 16. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you were made your good when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, and who lives in unapproachable light, who no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Amen. And so last week's teaching was laying a foundation for where we're headed this next couple of weeks before we get back to the book of Acts as we move towards Easter. But this Sunday, knowing that we weren't going to have child care and knowing that there could be children and children scurrying about, I decided to try to keep the teaching short, knowing that we were going to be building on it the rest of the month. And so if you fall asleep during this teaching, you will miss the point, all right? So just stay with me just for a few more minutes. Because one of the things that I am realizing was when you get past all of the craziness of reading the New Testament, when you look past the stories of the Gospels and the life and the crucifixion and the resurrection and the teachings of Jesus. And you get past the story of how the church was moving in the book of Acts. And you begin to read the letters that Paul wrote, which was the majority of the New Testament. And we get past all the confusing things. There is a couple of things that stand out. But because we're wired to learn, we don't notice nor pay attention to the things that are obvious. Like there are things that were said about Jesus that we know because we've read them, even the verses E.K. read for us, there's just truth in them. But it's like, well, there's nothing in this that's new. But the issue is, is that the things that were stated are powerful, but yet they lose their powerful effect on us because we get so familiar with them, we lose sight of what it really means. And we lose sight of the fact that there's a real enemy in this world that's wanting our faith to be weakened. There are things that are going on that are, that are vying for our mind and for our attention that are trying to take some of the authority away from God, trying to take the power away from God, the source of love away from God, trying to make God out to be like, well, maybe he's missing the mark in our generation. And, but there's things that we need to be reminded of that, man, wait a minute, God is still seated on the throne. One of the things that I've learned is that we in our generation, I think like many others, have a real struggle with anybody being called a ruler over us. All right, let let me just let that rest on you just for a second. How many of us really are comfortable with saying that somebody is the ruler over us? We don't even like going to work and knowing that somebody's our boss, right? Most job descriptions and even some of the new internet companies that are coming up, we are finding out creative ways where nobody reports to anybody and you get as many vacation days as you want as long as your work gets done, right? 
We are getting to a point where we don't want anybody to tell us what to do. But if there's been a couple of things in my generation that have given me some hope, this is a couple of the things. The Lion King. That movie gave me hope that in our hearts we desire a true king. Like you can't watch that movie with children around the holidays or any other time of the year and not just get overwhelmed with emotion as Mufasa is lifting. What is the little lion's name? Simba, sorry. You can tell it's been a while. But you know, the orchestra is going, the music is great, and all the animals are taking a knee, and we're just seeing this little future king lifted up, and we just are like, oh, this is so beautiful, Walt Disney did it again, right? And so there's this this desire in us, and if you don't resonate with um, the children's movies, then what was the motion picture of the year in 2004? It was J.R.R. Tolkien's final novel, the final book, the, what is it, The Return of the King, was the best movie, motion picture of 2004. And what is it all about? It's about this king getting a chance to come back and bringing all the nations together and causing a war to cease. And, and the rings, the fellowship of the rings were finally established, right? So there's this desire in us, whether we like it or not, to have a true king, to have a true lord over our lives. And so it comes out in our movies, it comes out in books, it comes out in all these different things. And this is what I want us to connect to this morning, is that in our hearts of hearts, we have been hurt by false kings. We've been hurt by false lords, and therefore we project that hurt onto the true king. We project that hurt onto the true Lord of Lords, and that is not the place that it needs to go. There's so many places in our lives now where the power of Christ is kind of being taken away from him. And so I want to share this with you guys, and I want to keep it as simple and cleanly as I can this morning, but a lot of times nowadays, people are okay with Jesus being a healer. People are okay with Jesus being a good teacher. People are okay with Jesus being a rabbi or a good rabbi or the best rabbi in his generation. People are okay with Jesus being a great moral example or that, man, you should really go back to his teachings. They were really good. But there's numerous places in the gospel, in John's gospel especially, where Jesus is referred to as the Lord of all that he is the king of kings. And all throughout the New Testament, those things are being said about him, but it's not very often when we utter the name of Jesus that we even say Jesus Christ anymore. We don't, and, but it's even more infrequent for us to say that King Jesus. People don't say that as much in our generation, but one of the things that I'm finding, even from the scripture that Ike read to us, It was not uncommon for the first century to remind each other that Jesus was now what? Lord of Lords. Now, Lord, King, it really, I think, are very interchangeable words. They both mean that this person is ruling over you, that they are the the, the ruler, the one that everyone should be listening to, and it seemed like the first century was embracing that. And so over the next couple of weeks, I'm hoping that we as a church can really begin to kind of get our footing more sure underneath of us, so to speak, where we can come back to some foundational things that I think is going to make 
our lives together more attractive to the people that question whether or not Jesus really is all that people claim that he is. Because if we, even the small number of us that are here together this morning, if we can gain comfort, gain peace, gain strength in knowing that Jesus has ascended after he died for the sins of the world, conquered it, and now is seated as Lord of all, like he did that, and now we're waiting for his return, and we know that we are now in between, but yet Jesus is Lord for us. I think if we can come to grips with that, we will know what to do until Jesus does come back. But the problem is, is that Jesus isn't Lord to us. He's something else. Therefore, when we step into the day, the first thing we think of is, well, what should I do today? Well, if you have a Lord in your life, you don't wake up saying, what do I do today? You ask your Lord what you are to do today. But see, that's our struggle the, there's a, a famous quote um, um, out of, uh, it's called The Invictus by Henley. You guys familiar with it? Where it says, um, I'm the master of my own fate. I am the captain of my own soul. I think that's kind of become a mantra for a lot of people, is that we have a theology in church about Jesus, but when it comes to our Monday through Saturday or our Sunday night through our Sunday mornings kind of time, is that we develop a mindset, you know what? I want Jesus to forgive me of my sins, but I still want to captain my own ship. But that's not what the early church did. The early church did so much more. Even Peter in Acts 2 said this, therefore let all, let, excuse me, therefore, Acts 2, 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So he's speaking to a Gentile and a Jewish audience there, and he's letting them know two very key and powerful words, Lord and Messiah. And we in our church today need to not just be okay with Jesus being our Savior the title Lord really should be something that we look at. Even in Revelation, in John, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, is now getting a picture of the future. And he says in Revelations 1, verses 7 and 8, Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So, so shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. This God that, that Olivia led us to sing towards isn't just a good teacher, isn't just a good Savior. He is Lord. He's Almighty. He is more powerful than the posture of our heart probably really has him at this morning. And so I hope that we, over these next few weeks, can grow in this. In John chapter 18, there's a beautiful story of Jesus getting ready to go to the cross, but he's interacting with Pilate. I want to read it to you. In verse 33 through 38, it says this in John 18. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, this is what he asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And then Jesus asked, is that your own idea, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done, Jesus says? My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. 
You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. And with this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for, charge, for a charge against him. I think this dialogue, which we don't have time to get into this Sunday, we'll spend more time in the weeks to come as we get ready for Easter on this particular passage. But this is the one thing that I want to say that I want us to draw our attention to. Jesus, even though we just celebrated him through the Advent season up to Christmas as Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus is not from this world. All right, I think that needs to resonate with us a little bit. I'm grateful that he came in flesh and blood to be amongst us, but this dialogue between Pilate and Jesus is a great reminder to us in this room today that Jesus comes from another place, therefore he carries a whole lot more authority than what we, would, many of us, would come into a morning like today and say, wow, I, I really do think Jesus is Lord. That means a whole lot more than I think our present theology and our posture towards Jesus really does set. And so here's a couple of questions that I thought I would ask us today. Whom do we want to be the ruler of our lives? Like if you were to give your life to somebody to be the ruler of your life, who would you want it to be? And then a follow-up question, whom do you want to be the ruler of this world of sin and death? Like, who do you want to elect in this world that is full of sin and death still, that is part of the reason why there's so much political turmoil in our country, let alone other parts of the world, who do we want to put in charge of that? Name the person, right? I come back to the uh, Invictus. Am I the master of my own fate? Am I the captain of my... Do we really want to be the one in charge do we really want to be the one that says, you know what, in the midst of my life, I want to make all the decisions? How is that really working out for us? What is the contentment factor of our life like? Which decisions in 2018 are you regretting? Which decisions in 2019 are you fearing that you're going to have to make? Because when you and I captain our own ship, we are in seriously dangerous waters. But when you and I learn what it looks like to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, learn in prayer how to continually talk to God, and we then begin to get more and more peace that the decisions that we're making are coming from him, not just coming out of us, then I think that we might be beginning to, to tap into something that for the city around us is going to become more and more exciting. And then in this world of sin and death, I think many times we don't relate the cross to the current context in the world today. But Jesus earned the right to be Lord over this broken world when he took on the sins on the cross. And there is nobody else that can stand in this world with any type of respect, dignity, power, authority, whatever we want. We can take anybody that we love in history, anybody that you look up to in our generation, and they pale in comparison to the powerful work that Jesus did on the cross. And this is why I think Timothy wrote the letter that he did to the early church that E.K. read to us. And I want to come back to it just for a moment as we get ready to close. In 1 Timothy 6, he said this, fight the good fight of the faith. So let me just tell you this. What is 2019 going to look like for us as a church? A fight. Can I just go ahead and tell you that ahead of time? Like, this doesn't sound like, ooh, yay. Right? But... 
you're going to struggle against sin, against temptation. You're going to have fights against illnesses. You're going to have fights against family members. You're going to have fights against reputation. All these different types of fights. There's going to be a struggle because sin and death are still kicking and screaming in this world, and they want to do harm to anybody that bears the image of Jesus. And so in 2019, you and I are, no, are going to be bumping up against some kind of fight. So Timothy was writing to them, fight the good fight of the faith. Fighting for your faith is a good fight. Fighting your own mind to keep Jesus as Lord of all is a good fight for you to have this next year. Keeping your eyes fixed on the true person and the power and the authority of Jesus. So take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. But you, men of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Therefore, I put that in there just for a moment. In the sight of God, who gives life to everyone, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made a good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not to just the appearance of Jesus Christ. He was reminding them that he was the Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed, the only ruler, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in an unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Guys, this is the one thing that I think we as a church can set our eyes on this next year, and we are going to find victory in so many areas. So many places right now we are feeling alone, but yet even on this lightly attended Sunday, we can look at brothers and sisters in the faith and say we can gain our strength and our comfort in knowing that we are not alone. But there are barriers even in this room that are trying to keep us apart from getting to know one another. Sometimes it's just labeled, well, I'm an introvert. And some of you are an extrovert, and you make people upset because you're extroverts, right? And so there's just simple things like, well, that's, that's a, a diagnosed behavioral uh, norm amongst people that is now keeping us from really interacting with each other. There's so many ways that which we can get hurt or offended by one another, so many ways that life can change, or somebody that was your friend stops initiating love, and then you're like, well, what do I do now? Let me just say, the more we keep Jesus as Lord and we continue to learn to draw into him, the less and less you and I are going to struggle with each other. One of the things that, as I close, that really brought great joy to me over the Christmas break was watching my children give gifts to each other. I, 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 some of you are, are, know what that is like, and others of you will one day probably experience that, or you have exchanged gifts with your siblings, and it's been a sweet moment. But let me just tell you this, as a parent... I felt like I had a chance to see what it felt like to be our Father in heaven looking down for a few minutes. And there is no greater love a parent feels than when the parent sees children taking intentional steps of intimacy towards one another. And so let me just tell you this. Every Sunday morning, our Father in heaven looks down on us. And when you and I take intentional 
steps of intimacy towards one another, and we don't just practice hospitality. We live in hospitality. We live in love with one another. We sacrifice for one another. We actually plan our steps towards one another. Our Father in heaven gets all warm and fuzzy on the inside, if you understand that expression. He is overwhelmed with joy when he begins to see us. And so if we keep him Lord of all, I guarantee us in in 2019, we are going to put a smile on God's face that he won't be able to wipe off until the end of 2020, all right? Let's let's, let's learn and begin to express this. I think so many other people are going to want to be a part of that in our city because they are just feeling so alone and so left out, but yet we have a God that wants them included.